power, powerful, powerful beginning to worship. I mean, first song, see a victory. I'd already seen a victory. Lawrence and Trish walked in today. Oh, man, been missing you guys. My goodness, praise God. You know, we're all going through transitions with, with Lawrence transitioning from not having a cancerous kidney anymore, praise God, to, yes, to transitions for, for Tim and Beth uh, into what's next for them, what ministry looks like outside of full-time tied to the congregation, tied to local ministry. And there are lots of transitions going on around here. Uh, Jimmy moving into associate role. We're looking for a youth minister. You're now getting used to hearing the same voice every week up here. That's a lot to ask of you. I mean, that's a lot of transition. And so, I mean, I guess the easiest thing would me to, for me to do would be to focus on retirement, right? Pull out retirement jokes, you know, for Tim and think about what retirement looks like. And I have a fear that you've probably already been giving Tim retirement advice and nudging him, or, or maybe Beth. Maybe you're giving Beth retirement advice. Well, my, my favorite time in my life was when I was a 20-something minister. Don and I, we preached for a year at a very small church, a little less than a year, and then went to a much larger church of 50, where we were for about three years. And I, at that point, Donna got a job at a hospital, and I was going to go back full-time to finish school. So we went, I retired from ministry. And I loved, as a 20-something minister, to introduce myself at that church, I'm retired as a minister. They'd look at me like, you don't even look like you're retired from high school. <laughs> retired from ministry. But I, I want you to know that it is okay to retire from ministry. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to be able to choose when you leave ministry and to be able to entrust that to God. And it's biblical. In fact, I know one of the things that a lot of people say is, oh, Tim and Beth, it's just not right. You can't retire from ministry. Well, it's biblical. Numbers 8, 25. It's there. Look it up. Uh, the verse previous says that you start when a priest as a priest when you're 25, and then when you reach the age of 50, you retire. And you can continue to assist in ministry. Now that age 50 sounds young, because we live a lot longer, better health care today, so that, that goes away. Tim has well beaten that. But it is, it is good. It is good and it is pleasing to God to be able to step away. The series that we've been looking at is called Kingdom Now. And today we kind of take a sidebar in this series kingdom now, still focused on the kingdom of God, but that's because about three or four weeks ago, knowing that this day was coming, my eyes had been drawn to a particular phrase about the kingdom of God that I thought kind of had some connections and fit with this day and with this moment. And if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 28. I'm going to give you lots of time to find it. Uh, Chronicles is not one of those chapters and passages that we often go to. But that's where we're going today, to connect with the kingdom of God and our series, Kingdom Now. And while you're going there, I want to paint the scene of what this uh, text is describing. Imagine a vast ceremony with many, many, many thousands upon thousands of people. 
in the time when David was the king. This is Israel glory year era. And David calls together all the officials, all right, the leaders of his leaders of his uh, hundreds, the commanders of a hundred, commanders of a thousand, uh, those that were overseeing his cattle. Cattle's a big deal, so you want to invite the people that are over your cattle. A little different times than, than ours, but still. The warriors came. And David has all these thousands upon thousands of officials in this scene of pomp and circumstance, which Beth and and Tim said, no, we're not doing that. So imagine something that they don't want. And then David stands and speaks these words in verse 4 of 1 Chronicles. King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had planned to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. But God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name, for you are a warrior and you have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my ancestral house to be king over Israel forever. And he chose Judah as a leader. And in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among my father's sons, he took delight in making me king over Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. So David stands up in front of all these officials, ready to hand over the kingdom to Solomon. And he admits to them and confesses something that requires a little bit of a backstory. Back in 1 Chronicles 17, or in 2 Samuel 7, David is strolling around in his big king's mansion, like we can't imagine, a cedar palace. And he looks down and sees the Lord's tent, the ragged, flapping in the wind Lord's tent, covering the Ark of the Covenant, and he thinks, this just can't be. We've got to put the Ark of the Covenant, the footstool of God, in a permanent place. And so he goes, like a good king would do, to God. He approaches the prophet Nathan and says, this is what I want to do. I want to build a temple over the Ark. And Nathan says, yes, by all means. God is with you. God will bless what you do. And they all go to sleep. Well, God comes to visit Nathan and said, like literally, did I ask anyone to build me a temple? Did I ask anyone to provide for me a permanent structure? I'm a God that's on the move. I've been in a tent. I don't want a temple. And David is not going to be the one to build this temple. Okay? In fact, as God gets a little hot around the collar, he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build David's house. I'm going to turn him into a dynasty. I'm going to build David's kingdom. So, 
Nathan gives that information to David, and David is now standing in front of this vast group of people saying, I asked to build the temple, and God said no. He is showing who is running the kingdom, and that kingdom is run by God. Now, further backstory is this, this ark, this little box. Some of you have probably heard of it before. There's movies made about it. People talk about the lost Ark of the Covenant. Well, this is a, if, if cubits are about 18 inches, this is about a three or a four foot long box by two feet that's two feet deep, totally encrusted in gold, sparkling, thick with gold. Inside of the box are several things. The God-written Ten Commandments, on stone, Aaron's rod that budded, and a jar of manna that the Israelites ate in the wilderness, provided by God. So this is a marker, a box, full of important things from when God brought them out of Egypt, a very pivotal time. Well, the box is very much like what was uh, in most Pharaoh's uh, kingdoms. They would have a box like this, made out of gold, with rings, the whole thing, filled with important papers. So confirmed treaties with other countries, very valuable things that were then placed at the throne under the king's feet, a safety deposit box. Well, this is what the Ark of the Covenant was. It was this footstool, but not for the king. It was the footstool for God for Yahweh God. And it shows up and it's mentioned in many places in Scripture. In fact, in Psalm 132, it's mentioned that people go up to Jerusalem to go and worship at the footstool of Yahweh. Or in Isaiah 60, verse 7, they talk about going into the sanctuary where God's feet reside. Or Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 7, where it's said that the soles of the feet of God reside. So David is wanting to put this structure, this little box, inside of a permanent structure, and he's told no. And he goes in front of everyone and lets them know that he's been told no because he's telling them, folks, this is a theocracy. This is a rule of God. This is not a monarchy where a king rules. Big difference between a theocracy and a monarchy that's putting the focus on the king. Now, David continues as he explains things. Yes, I am a chosen one. God chose me from among my brothers to be anointed as king. And now God is choosing Solomon. What gets lost to us as we see the grandeur of David standing up there in front of this vast array of dignitaries, maybe with his crown, maybe with all of his royal robes, certainly dressed to the T. What gets lost is that he didn't start out as a king. He started out as a shepherd with sheep, a boy, the youngest of his brothers. And God turns him into a king turns him into this warrior where he could stand before them full of charisma and power and history. This was God's work 
to make David into who David was. And now David is continuing to return the focus to God, to this focus on where God's feet reside. Which brings us to the phrase that caught my attention. And it's in the very end of verse 5 in chapter 28 of 1 Chronicles. Look at how the kingdom is described. He's chosen my son Solomon to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of Yahweh, that's what the Lord means, over Israel. To sit upon the throne of the kingdom of Yahweh over Israel. Not David's throne, not Solomon's throne. This is God's throne. This is God's kingdom. That is really powerful to me, that he puts forward who is in control of this kingdom, who is over it. It's not me, says David, and it's not even my son that I'm handing things off to. It is God. And it makes me think about Jesus' message, the good news of the kingdom of God, that God's kingdom has arrived. He is pointing to this fact that has been known all along, that God rules and God's reigns. God reigns. But in Jesus, that reign is brought present and prevalent and available for us to enter and be a part of. I just find it fascinating that David can stand in front of this group of people and now make this charge to Solomon. In verse 8, it says that he now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, observe and search out all the commandments of Yahweh your God, that you may possess the good land and leave it for an inheritance for your children after you forever. So he stands in front of them and says, Solomon, it's now on you. It's now on you to observe what Yahweh has told you to do so that you can possess this land and leave it for your ancestors behind you. Now, the charge we could spend a lot of time with. I'm not going to do that today. I want to just list it off for you in verse 9, what this powerful charge is from David to Solomon. First off is know God. K-N-O-W, God. Not know about God. Not know facts or truths about God but come to know God relationally. That is a command that's given to Solomon. Second, serve God with single-minded focus and with a willing heart. Did you catch that? This is one king talking to another king, telling that king to serve yet another king, God Almighty. Now, wait a second. Kings don't serve anyone. But this is one king turning to another king saying, look to the king and follow Yahweh, our God. That is a powerful testimony to this vast audience that he speaks to. Third, seek God. If you seek God, God will let you find him. Now, when we hear that, that can be a little frustrating to us. because We feel like we're seeking God, but God seems to be prone to silence, darkness, mystery. 
And even when God seems to show up, it's just a few words. But this promise has been true from the beginning of time. If you set your heart to seek God, God will let you find him. It's an amazing promise. And then the fourth thing is an old mixtape, old bunch of tracks. In fact, one of the last things Tim was pulling out of his office uh, this week on Thursday was a big box of background tapes, instrumental background tapes. It's like, what do we do with this? I mean, we've got YouTube. We've got, we've got fully accessible. Well, this is an old mixtape. Be strong and courageous and act. These are the words that show up repeatedly. These are the words that God says to Joshua when he's taking over leadership. These are the words that Moses says to Joshua. And here David is picking them up as a valuable song to sing again. Be strong and courageous and act. Don't you know King David was going to look at his son and say, look, there's no room for passivity in this moment. There's no room to be a hesitant soldier. Be strong and courageous and act. Move forward. What's striking about this story is that it's something of a a retelling. It's kind of like a movie that's a remake or even a a spin-off movie. This story is repeated from 1 Kings. And if you go back and you look at 1 Kings 1 through 3, the story's kind of cleaned up a little bit. There's not mentioned all of the the death and the division in the family and the uncertainty about which king was actually going to replace David. Because this chronicler has the perspective of time, the blessing of hundreds of years later, to see how things have sorted out, and also has the benefit of what might be something of a wink to us. Because as David says these grand things about being strong and courageous, as he gives this commission to Solomon, everyone reading the story knows what happens. That they move away from God. They know. And I think the chronicler, with the perspective of time, is winking at us and saying, this is what's timeless about this story. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to seek God in this moment? You see, too often we get caught up in the glory years of the past, of what God has done in the past. And we want to spend time celebrating it and living in it. Or we look to the past and we wring our hands fretting about what has happened in the past. Folks, God does not call us to live in the past, ever. God is always calling us into the future, to his preferred future, and it is always better when it's with God. That's where God is calling us. Yes, sometimes kids go wrong. Yes, sometimes leaders fail. Yes, sometimes countries fall apart at the seams. But we serve the king. That is who we're following. Not anyone that might set themselves up as king. We are pressing forward to live now in the kingdom of God. Tomorrow is gone. The future is uncertain, but the present we have to live in the kingdom of God. We cannot live on past gains. We cannot live on past failures. We can learn from them. 
We can benefit from them, but we move forward into the future that God has promised for us. Okay, so as we get to the end of the story, this story of pomp and circumstance, I think we need to pull out and make sure we caught three things. There are lots, lots, and lots of things to find in this passage, but three are very important. First is that God, this is God's kingdom. It's God's kingdom. It's not David's, it's not Solomon's, and it's certainly not ours. This is not our dynasty to maintain. There's no question of ownership in the kingdom of God. It is God's kingdom. Now that helps me, because I get wrapped up in what I can see and forget about whom I serve, whom I cannot see. This is God's kingdom. Second, we don't build this kingdom any more than David built the kingdom. I think it's a good reminder for David that he can't build the temple, that he has to let it go. It's a good reminder for David to hear, look, God doesn't live in a house. God is a God on the move. God is pressing forward into the future, and he wants you to come along, and it's quite a ride. God is going to build the house. You remember what I said, even as we looked in the New Testament. The New Testament does not talk about the kingdom of God in terms of building it, or extending it, or expanding it. Those are not the kind of words that are used in the New Testament. Do you remember what they are? Enter. Receive. Inherit. It comes as a gift to those who are willing to step in and live in the kingdom of God. You know, there's a little bit more about this not building the kingdom of God that this story points out that I think should be mentioned. And one of them is that we don't ever see the full impact of our work. We just don't. We're not granted by God the ability to see all the influence that we have. Thank God. Because we would see some bad things, some people that we've messed up, and we would see some amazing things that would make our jaw drop. There's a part of that that provides for us humility to know that this is not ours. We're not building it. We are entrusting ourselves to God. And another part of this is the required practice of handing it off. If we're not building, and if we understand that this is God's kingdom, we have to hand this off to others. Now, I didn't say dump it. Abandon it. Say, well, not my problem anymore. When older generations or when people with more experience do that, that does not work either. That's not what we're talking about. Think about the way you are with your kids, wanting them to succeed, helping them to thrive, helping them to lean into the future with all the resources and gifts that you can provide. Okay, so those are the first two. That this is God's kingdom. We don't build it, so we can't have control over it. We don't know the influence. If we follow those two things, it gets us ready for the third one, to seek God with our full heart. If we know it's not our kingdom, and if we know we're not the ones building it, then we can move with boldness to use the gifts that we've been given to press into the future, to not wait, to not be passive, to hear the words, be strong and courageous and act. 
We are following the pointing of God here. And when we do that, we can go in boldness, not worried about what will happen or, oh, I don't know if that. No, be strong and courageous and press forward into the future. You see, God is leading us somewhere. God has a future for us. And there's a song that I want us to hear as we close, a song that's meaningful to Tim and to Beth about pressing into that future about understanding that it is God who makes the way and that it's God who will be our guide. What God is looking for is kings and queens like you who recognize who the king is and are ready to step in line behind him and see the amazing things that God does.